0: So, uh, you, you plan on recording an album or an EP? Uh, I will say from experience, one of the, the coolest things about doing it on your own is complete creative control. I will say one of the biggest disadvantages of doing that is, uh, it's hard to, uh, gain an objective ear when you're listening to your stuff and that's why i want to tell you about obsidian sound it is a mixing and mastering studio in northern california run by nathan moody uh, a musician who some of you may recognize from his etude series of albums and his latest electroacoustic album the right side of mystery which i own on a double cassette the packaging is super cool and it's an excellent album Obsidian Sound specializes in that critical final polish to reach and connect with audiences more effectively. Nathan specializes in independent electronic music uh, with a special focus on ambient and modular. So listeners, this is kind of, uh, it's kind of our sweet spot. Um, he works with artists and uh, labels alike. Most of us electronic musicians act as solo artists, as I said before, but before releasing a new album or collection of work, there's a huge benefit to having an objective set of professional ears in a different acoustically treated room on full-range monitors. Um, when they hear you know, your work and then add some final quality assurance and objective polish, whoo! It, it makes such a difference and that's where obsidian sound comes in with 20 years of experience in the audio industry nathan offers mix review mixing and most importantly mastering services with a special focus on preserving and delivering the artist's creative intent he's provided mastering service for well-known modular artists like r benny mylar melodies and more uh, including donald Crunk and dark sparkler friends of the show Anyone listening to this podcast can get a ten percent discount off of mixing and mastering services by mentioning that you heard about Obsidian Sound on Popular Modcast. From experimental to noise to ambient to techno, Obsidian Sound can help you sound like a better version of you. I mean, R. Benny did it. This track that you hear under me talking is from his new release called Isla, and it was it was mastered by by Nathan. And if I mean if Arbeni uses him, I think you can uh, you can know that your 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 sound is in good hands. So if you want your project's mixes reviewed, improved, or mastered, please visit obsidiansound.com. And don't forget to mention that I sent you over there because it'll get you a 10% discount. PodModBods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. Today's guest is Tom Butcher, a.k.a. Orchid, um, and he is one of the co-founders of our local synth shop here in Seattle, Patchworks, which is also, uh, a, a, um, I guess, a ongoing sponsor of the show. So uh, before we get into anything, I just want to let you know that you can go to patchworks.com, that's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S dot com, and uh, get stuff shipped to you all around the states probably all around the world um, and I just got some PodMod stickers in the mail so I'm hopefully going to be dropping some of those off at Patchworks pretty soon and uh, I'm going to try and encourage them to send some stickers out when people make online purchases so there's some incentive, huh? Buy a module, get a cool PodMod sticker um, I told you I was going to do it and t-shirts hopefully come in this week so stay tuned for that so this song that you're listening to right now, under my blathering, is from Tom. Um, it's from his album as Orchid. That's O R Q I D, um, and that it's a, an EP called Ideology, and this track's called Ideology One. Um, it's it's very cool. The packaging is super cool. It's a nice little seven-inch, um, hot pink vinyl, and it's uh, it's really really good music. So really quick, last week, um, I told you guys about a show uh, Sunday, May 26th in Glendale, California at 1 p.m. with R. Benny, Hark Madley, Izapa, Kitty Spit, and Rhea. It's an invite only. I gave you an email address to email if you want to go to that show, and I said it wrong. So the correct email address is info at R-H-E-Y-A dot C-O not.com.co, which is very confusing why.co exists in a world of .coms, but that was my fault for assuming. So yeah, sounds like a really fun show, you should go check it out. And since we're talking to Tom today from uh, Patchworks, I figured it would be uh, appropriate for me to share with you this track from my buddy Cedric who I met at Patchworks, who works at Patchworks. Um, he performs under the name Starboy with a Z. Uh, you all know how much i love z's um z t a r b o y uh this album is called hope for happier days and the song that you're hearing right now is called starfall so please go check out uh starboy on bandcamp it's some really banging stuff cedric Cedric is a real stand-up guy and an amazing musician so yeah I also want to take a moment to talk about the Patreon. Um, I really appreciate everybody who is supporting the show. I haven't been talking about it much, and I need to pick that up. So um, this is, you know, this is a labor of love. I have a day job, so anything you can do to help me make it a better show uh, helps out a whole lot. So if you want to go to Patreon.com forward slash PodularModcast. Um, there's all sorts of fun uh, donor tiers. I can make you a patch. you send me some adjectives and nouns, and I'll put it on Instagram and I'll send you a recording of it. Um, there's early episodes, or there's just if you wanna just be a fan. Um, you know, how much do you how much do you pay a day for like a cup of coffee or um, how much do you pay for a module? Geez. Um, this is a free show, and i I love that it's free. But yeah, I would really appreciate if you could uh, if you could help me out. Really help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podmod. So again, that's Patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. And uh, over the last few episodes, I've mentioned a uh, a local charity that I'm working with that helps out uh, with um, with getting uh, essential. Uh, products to homeless women in the Seattle area. Um, I'm also going to be taking some of my Patreon earnings. I'm going to take 10% of my monthly earnings and uh, donate it to the One Million Tampons organization. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, let's get to know them for a second here.
1: One Man Tampons is on a mission to ensure all people have access to hygiene products, including tampons, maxi pads, sanitary wipes, and other monthly essentials. Teens, women, trans males, and gender non-binary people make up half the human population. They all menstruate, but not everyone can afford the products they need for proper health care. That's where we all can help. And yes, we're also talking about you, men. Wait, who, me?
0: Men are typically fearless on most every front, except one, buying tampons, maxi pads, or other feminine hygiene products in a store. Why is this? If someone catches you purchasing such items, their first and only thought should be, there's a man who's taking care of someone he loves, be it his wife, daughter, sister, mother, neighbor, or friend in need, but instead there is an embarrassment, and this needs to change. So what can you do right now? Face your fears, march into the nearest store, proudly buy a stack of new tampons and or maxi pads, and bring them to your nearest One Million Tampons drop-off location.
1: Everyone with the ability to add at least one box of hygiene products to their grocery cart can make a huge difference in dozens of people's lives. It's that simple. You can also check out our wish list, buy online, and send your generous donation directly to us.
0: If you're not in the Seattle area, go to 1milliontampons.com to learn how you can help. So yeah, if you guys could go uh, check out their website and see how you could help or donate to the Patreon and uh, just help in a monthly way, like a set and forget sort of way. Um, either way works for me. Um, we are going to be doing a cool benefit. It's actually going to be on Father's Day, which is uh, June 16th on a Sunday. And that is, uh, it's going to be a pretty unique event here in Seattle in that we are, it's going to be a waffle bar and a Bloody Mary bar and there's going to be karaoke. But while we're eating our waffles and drinking our Bloody Marys, there's going to be some modular performances in the background, a couple of quick sets. So it's a super funky event, but it's for a good cause. So it'll be at the South Park Hall uh, in South Park neighborhood of Seattle, um, June 16th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. So I'd love to see you out there if you're in the Seattle area. All right. This intro is running a little long, but you know what? That's the way that's the way it goes I guess. Let's check out a demo really quick and then get into our conversation with Tom. All right, so last week we looked at Iliana from Omi Industries, and we made some cool drum beats, and we also triggered some VCA's and some envelopes with it, and made like a percussive patch. We're going to kind of continue in that vein, and we're going to continue to focus on the program inputs of the programmable logic section. So last week, I showed you how you could do, um, you know, some drum fills, or just switch up your beat with uh, switching on and off the the programmable inputs. Um, this week, I want to show you what you can do when you feed like a slope or an envelope into one of the program inputs. So to start off, though, we're just going to do a nice plucky thing with the stereo dipole filter. Now, what I've got going on here, I've got the X output of the programmable logic section of Iliana going into the A input of the stereo dipole filter from steady state fate, and then I've got the Y output going into the B input of the stereo dipole. So usually you'd put sound into the inputs to filter it. But in this mode, we're going to kind of make some plucky stuff. I've done a demo with the uh, the dipole before with the plucky sound. So it'll be a little familiar. So let's just turn up the A side here really quick. I'm using the uh, X or output of the hard logic section of Iliana to uh, trigger the voltage block. So that's where you're getting the sequence. I'm feeding a sequence into the one volt per octave or frequency in of the stereo dipole filter. Let's bring up the B side. So that's that's nice and pleasant. Now let's see what happens when I. I bring some uh, a Maths channel 1 slope into the program one input of Iliana. I'll take that back out and put it back in and back out. So it's a good way to um, add some, some manual control to add some dynamics to a patch. So really, really good for live situations. I'm, like I said last week, this, this module is becoming more and more useful to, to me, and I'm just seeing more and more possibilities for how I could use it live. So let's, let's bring that, that maths up one more time. And back down. Now, I'm also using the hard logic section from Ileana to trigger a rampage from Bafaco, which is similar to Maths. And then I'm using the A and B outputs to go into the resonant A and B inputs of the stereo dipole filter. Now, when we're doing a plucky patch like this with the, the, the dipole filter, the resonance will kind of act as a, a release. Um, so, let's bring those slopes up. Again, Bifaco being triggered by the hard logic section of Ileana. So I'll just bring up the A side first. And now I'll bring the B side up. Slope from maths into the program one input of Iliana. we'd be remiss if we didn't add some delay to it, right? So I've got the Chrono Blob 2 from All Right Devices. So let's bring that up in the mix. Now I'm also using one of the outputs from the Rampage, which is being triggered by Ileana, to control the left side of the uh, the, the dual delay here. And then I've got um, Maths Channel 4, which is being triggered by Ileana. Uh, in the right side now watch what happens when I switch from the smooth delay to the tape delay on the all right devices get some pitch shifty stuff Take the C B control out of the time. And I'm gonna manually mess with this uh, the the multiply and divide knob on the chrono block. Mention that I am also controlling the sync input of the uh, Chrono Blob with Ileana, so. Industries.com to learn more about the Iliana, and go to AllRightDevices.com to learn more about the ChronoBlob 2. All right, let's get into our chat with Tom Butcher, A.K.A. Orchid, uh, and co-founder of the lovely, lovely, and beloved Patchworks here in Seattle. Tom, it's been too, I can't believe it's taken us this long to do this yeah yeah thanks for having me on yeah yeah i appreciate you uh you inviting me over to your lovely studio here it's uh it's definitely like <laughs> i'm a little, i'm definitely jealous but you know I, <laughs> i'd like to think that i'm at the age now where i can just admire it and be happy for you
2: <laughs> oh well thanks yeah i built i built this i mean i've been doing electronic music a long time and actually um yeah. I mean, I lied about my age when I was super young, so I could start saving. <laughs> you know, I got my job at Little Caesars and, you know, had my savings box with like a little goal scribbled on it. So it took a while. But I mean, I started before I was 16. Really? Know, so, yeah. And I'm 43 now. So that's a lot of years of collecting.
0: Well, okay, looking at all this stuff, and I see some pretty cool vintage stuff in here. Um, are you someone who gets gear and holds on to it? Because I'm kind of like a magpie that, but also that like just constantly trading stuff.
2: These days, I typically buy and, and hold and, and really try to use you know everything that I can. But um, you know, I'm in a position now where I can do that. And when mm-hmm. I was young, um, I couldn't. You know, some of, I really sold some some beautiful uh, instruments like yeah. a TR eight hundred eight, for example. I had to pay rent, uh-huh. and wow, that was difficult, right? But <laughs> yeah. I just I just had to do it. So, um, we were talking before we, you know, we started recording about the emulator too, which you see over here. Um, that was my second instrument. My grandfather helped me buy one and, um, I just used the crap out of it. But over the years, just as an example, I thought, wow, this thing is really big. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of antiquated as a sampler. I'm not, you know, I just, I, I wasn't gelling with it, I guess for a time and I sold it. Um, there's several pieces like that and each, piece that I sold. Um, I just really started to pine for, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been so there.
2: yeah. See, so these days I, I, you know, I, I try to invest in things that I know I want to keep, but mm-hmm. you know, that said, there's some, like, especially in the modular zone, there's, there is more churn with me there. Yeah. Um,
0: just because there's so much great stuff coming out and you have and to I spend can't... some time with it too. To get to know it yeah. maybe and so trying it out in a shop maybe isn't enough to know whether it's something that's gonna gel with you or
2: Yeah, that's true. And another trend is is packing more and more functionality into mm-hmm. into, you know, a given um quantum of HP. So I used to have a lot of Dupfer modules with are which are great. Mm-hmm. Um still you know, still love those, but um, you know, I don't need like a six HP LFO. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've been kind of battling with that. Cause I've got, I've got some pretty cool digital stuff. Um, you know, like ornament and crime and I'm thinking about getting another sure. one and it's kind of like, I'm, I'm wrestling with that whole, well, what's the point of having it in a modular form? Like if you can get one module that does everything, then why not just get a desktop synth or something? I, I don't know, but I, I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's just, it's all about what you want at the moment and what you're doing, trying to do with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, one reason I love modular and, you know, hardware instruments is common with, you know, lots of other people. I just like touching the things I like, um, being tactile with them. I like, um, I just like that experience, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I did spend a lot of time in software world. I mean, I use, you know a computer to record everything still I still enjoy plugins you know I yeah. have a lot of UAD plugins and and that world's great um but yeah I just I don't know I I grew up as a piano player right so uh-huh. I want to I want to sit and play the keys and um just react to what I'm hearing mm-hmm. right and and you know that kind of leads me into some uh like emotional outlets or yeah. you know statements I want to make so that's really the the key for me i'm a player
0: yeah same here yeah i i've 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 used i've used plugins here and there but mostly just kind of focus on like eq compression some reverb but i i like to i like to tweak and and have that tactile thing um i want to go back to this emulator being your first sure this first instrument and having your grandpa be the person (laughs) that helped you pay for it that what like you how old were you then, and w- like how do you explain a sampler to your grandpa back in those days?
2: Yeah, well, let me rewind. so I know <laughs> I started the story of um, you know lying about my age to get a job, <laughs> yeah. and actually funny tangent is um, on my first day of work at little Caesar's, my manager got arrested <laughs> oh, and like <laughs> taken out of the building. Um, he was stealing from the safe, I guess oh jeez, but no, um, you know my first electronic keyboard was a casio thing my dad bought me for Mm. my eighth birthday i believe um and then just through allowance or whatever i bought an sk1 a casio sk1 sampling keyboard and then later i had an sk5 so i had three instruments um then i needed a mixer right i needed Uh a a way to like mix them together so uh, there was a radio shack within bicycling distance from my house (laughs) when i was a kid so yeah, I would just build up allowance and like, I'd go buy the little four track, um, four channel realistic mixer. Um, my dad, um, used to love to scour pawn shops and he found Mm -hmm. a couple of like really old crusty cassette decks, Uh um, that he's, he wasn't really a recording engineer or a musician or anything, but he said, look, you can record one track and then you can take that tape and put it in this cassette and mix it with another one, right? So then, you know, my first tapes were about, you know, overdubbing. And um, the way I had the setup most of the time is I would record into one deck, place that cassette in the playback deck, right? And just Mm -hmm. keep going. So I was switching cassettes over, but the two decks did not play back at the same speed. (laughs) So not only was you know, we're, we're earlier generations degrading over time, Mm -hmm. but they're also slipping out of tune as well. Yeah. So anyway, that was, that was a fun adventure, but do you have any of that old stuff still? Oh yeah, of course I do. (laughs) I'd love to hear some of that. No one's hearing it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, actually, I mean, um, we're recording on mother's day and, and one of the first things, um, I made was, um, I was either a mother's day or, a or or my mother's birthday uh-huh. I made her just like you know an improvised impro, improvised cassette right? uh-huh. and I remember it just being something fun that I wanted to do but I can still remember um kind of seeing that among her like cherished artifacts yeah. between my my brother and me so it was touching to see that she you know held on to it for so, so you long You had
0: you had really supportive parents then with with your musical endeavors sounds like yes um, for the most part,
2: <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, my, my parents always wanted me to have a backup, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, my vocation is software engineering. That's what how I make, you know, my, my living. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my backup, right? Uh-huh. So, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a, my mom was a voice major in college. So she okay. used to sing in folk bands. Um, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted piano lessons as soon as like as early as I can remember. Uh, yeah. And, uh, we couldn't really afford it. So the line my mom would give me is, well, we can't really find a teacher, you know, that will take somebody, you know, your age. But around when I was eight, um, that's when, you know, I got piano teachers and started getting lessons. And then, you know, throughout middle school and high school, I was also in the, in the choir. So I was also a, you know, a soloist. And Uh then I, I was also, uh, you know, involved in my church's youth group at the time. And, um. There's some interesting stories there. I, I, <laughs> through car washes and other fundraisers, I convinced them to uh, to buy a Korg M1. <laughs> <laughs> they wound up sitting in, in my house, but it, it was for it was for a good reason because we, you know, we were putting on dances, we were DJing, like we mm-hmm. were really trying to build something with the youth movement or the youth culture there, and um, yeah, it was kind of a good prototype in a way or a good way to learn for what doing now with patchworks yeah and, you know with the rest of this community but where US, where was it yeah. sorry to, to cut in uh, i grew up in
0: houston texas okay i knew yeah. that that's right yeah i don't know why um, i was thinking michigan did you spend no, time on there okay i've actually well i have been to michigan once but now <laughs> okay
2: but yeah so you asked about the emulator too so when i when i first started earning some real money you know mm-hmm. three dollars seventy five cents <laughs> an hour <laughs> um it took a long time you know and and you know after riding my bike to work you know i thought well shoot you know the, i'd like to have a car right yeah. so um my family scared up this like busted old beige escort wagon that was uh-huh. that did not run right so <laughs> yeah.
0: my first three cars did not run when my yeah, dad got exactly. them yeah <laughs> exactly so you know that story so
2: so got that going but then i needed to pay for those expenses as well i needed mm-hmm. to pay for my you know my insurance and yeah. gasoline and all that so um it really started to be a drag. You know, I, I think at the time I really wanted a Roland D 50. Like that was the new shiny thing, or maybe an ESQ one. Those were the shiny things in the music stores, but they just seemed so out of reach, you know, $2,000 for like, there's, and this was the eighties, right? Early nineties. Early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So, so long, you know, at (sighs) once my friends, could you know could drive they're a little bit older than me mm-hmm. then we started the pawn shop circuit and yeah. you know we're just looking for that crazy deal that would show up and um yeah in in one pawn shop on westheimer in, in houston i still remember this vividly they had a roland juno 60 oh um, they had a roland jupiter 4 which i thought looked really stupid i'd even <laughs> play it <laughs> it looked too much like an organ but the juno 60 was out and accessible and i'd never played any professional Mm analogs before, like in the music stores, it was all digital at the time or hybrid. So, um, yeah, I played this thing and and it was a little bit busted, like some of the keys didn't quite work, but it was mostly there. And, um, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the way it sounded. Um, you know, everything's really immediate on the panel on Mm -hmm. a Juno 60. Uh, it's got only one oscillator. So it's, it's really straightforward and immediate. I Mm -hmm. still feel that way about it even to this day. So I really wanted this thing. It was four hundred dollars, but um
0: at the pawn shop?
2: At the pawn shop, yeah. And this pawn shop was not known for deals. Like yeah, it, you yeah. know. <laughs> but they had the gear, you know, mm-hmm. they had the equipment. So um I think I was just excitedly talking about it with my mom and you know, my grandfather had been visiting from the, the Texas Rio Grande Valley and um one Sunday I just thought, Oh like can I go play it? I wanna go play it, you mm-hmm. know? So we, like the whole family goes over there for me to play this thing. And I think my grandfather just told my mother, hey, you know, if he's got most of the money, I'll, I'll help him with the rest. Uh-huh. And that's what happened. So I took the thing home that day.
3: Nice. And
2: I don't think I slept for, you know, <laughs> for any, any significant amount of time. Just, I mean, with the headphones just getting lost mm-hmm. in, in, um, in the sound. So, so that was the Juno. That was the first thing. And then uh, the emulator came along. A few months later, maybe maybe up to a year later,
0: okay.
2: I used to get Rogue Music's printed um, used gear sheets in uh-huh. the mail. That's how they used to do it, or, or either that or classifieds in the back of Keyboard Magazine, uh-huh. which I, I read pretty much religiously. <laughs> um, yeah, and I saw this emulator too. I mean, I knew about it from Ferris Bueller and from you know artists that I knew. loved who used it like omd or depeche mode Mm -hmm. and i thought wow okay i could really start making some songs with this thing because you can sample drums you can sample acoustic instruments Mm -hmm. obviously i know new order used it pretty heavily and i was into all those bands um they wanted 700 dollars, and i think i only had maybe two-thirds of that Uh uh-huh so went back to my grandfather and he was like, yep, let's do it. So that's I awesome. Had it shipped to my mom's office, this huge giant box. If you've ever seen an emulator to listeners, you know how big that thing is. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, I just got lost in the thing. I would sample any old thing I could think of. I had mm-hmm. a cassette deck. I would collect sounds, sample my voice, sample television, movies, you name it.
0: Man, that's awesome. It's uh, It's cool to listen to how people kind of get into... The, techno- like the technology side and what they gravitate towards. And yeah. I'm curious, were you gravitating towards the technology and then finding the bands that, you know, that used it or like, cause you starting with keys and then you get some keyboards. Was it, did that process lead you to becoming a fan of electronic music or was it kind of, how did that, that kind of sure. play together?
2: Well, um, my first memory of, um, electronic music I suppose was I can't remember if if it was a talk box or a vocoder I heard Mm -hmm. but I do remember I must have been like three or four years old because I I was in this giant red Oldsmobile listening to the radio and I know know, my family didn't have that thing until after I was like three or four years old Mm -hmm. so I remember hearing the radio and hearing voice plus synthesizer Mm -hmm. right and I just had to control that. I had to yeah. be able to do that myself. I mean, I was already listening to my dad play piano a lot and I would like sit on his lap while he would play, you know? Mm-hmm. Um But just hearing those pure tones that it, it, um it really, I don't know. It stirred me, you know? Yeah. So um it's hard for me to imagine or, or t- to remember when, well, I guess, okay. So the first few records I bought were, Van Halen's 1984,
0: mm-hmm. pretty synth uh, heavy,
2: synth heavy, and I didn't really know anything about the band, but I knew Jump, of course, uh-huh. right? Love the <laughs> riff in that. Um, but then when I got the tape, the the intro is all these like weird, otherworldly synthesizer tones. I just mm-hmm. loved it. And then another record I bought early on a cassette was Falco Three, and you know, Not Rock Me On the uh, Oh, Rock okay. Me On yeah, yeah, yeah. was huge. It was a huge <laughs> hit in Houston. And I just love the stuttery samples in that, and so I don't know. I guess I always just connected with those those sounds. And then another kind of musical um, component to the whole you know story of my my taste was I remember looking at Keyboard Magazine in um, the mall. I forget like what store, um, but some some bookstore in the mall, uh-huh. and I saw this Keyboard Magazine which had Jean Michel Jarre in the front. Uh-huh. Um, I still own that thing, actually. <laughs> um, just to cover it with was sup- was super 80s, you know, like mm-hmm. purple and like, you know, raster graphics. And at the time, in the mid 80s, Jean-Michel Jarre was preparing for a giant concert in Houston, in downtown uh-huh. Houston, where I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he, he does these super large scale concerts where he uses the buildings as backdrops.
0: Okay. Right. Okay. So
2: giant, you know, there's like lasers and fireworks and huge projections. So those two things kind of aligned around the same time. Like, I think it maybe was about half a year in between, but I saw the magazine, I saw him. I knew everything in that magazine, <laughs> like every ad, you know, every story. Um, and then Jean-Michel did his his concert in downtown Houston. And, um, you know, I remember that weekend because, you know, we we're my brother and I were staying with my dad and... I thought, well, here it is, you know, all this electronic music and we're going to go down there and see, you know, Jean-Michel. <laughs> and, um, you know, when it came time, I, I remember asking my dad, well, okay, are we ready to go? And he said, no, nah, we're not going. Oh, no. I was so like, oh, no. I don't use this word a lot, but crestfallen <laughs> yeah. is like a really good word <laughs> here. I was just so angry and pissed and, and um, we were dabbling a little bit with electronics um, with him at the time. And I remember he had this Heath kit regulated power supply kit. Mm-hmm. So instead of seeing Jean-Michel Jarre, we built the power supply. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily it was on the radio, so I at least got to hear it. But, you know, Jean-Michel Jarre, and that led me to Depeche Mode and uh, New Order. I was a huge Erasure fan. I just loved, you know, the circus, touring circus, um, OMD. So that was really the beginnings. And the New Order came around. Um, I remember hearing the Truth Faith single in about 1987,
3: mm-hmm.
2: like going to amphitheater concerts and stuff. So I I just love the sound of that. And that appeared on their Substance uh, compilation. So that is what led me into the New Order land.
0: Okay. And is that when you started trying to maybe, do did you ever do band stuff in, in like high school, teenage years, or, or were you kind of solo recording or... Yeah. I mean, mostly
2: stuff. solo, but so I, I, you know, as a teenager, I desperately wanted to like talk about synths mm-hmm. or like just connect with other people. And where I lived in, in Houston, um, I've, we just didn't have that. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I think I inspired some of my friends like, Oh, check this out, drum machine, whatever. So uh-huh. we got kind of interested, but then we didn't really have any money. right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have any money to, to find instruments. You know, I knew I wanted an 808 or just to work with an 808, but it just seemed so distant and out yeah. of, you know, out of touch or out of reach. Um, at the same time, you know, through through choir and my piano lessons, I'd start doing performances in school, right? And mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the beginning. I mean, I, I was never part of a band, marching band or orchestra. Um, but when I did buy the Juno and, you know, I found a couple of people who were kind of interested um, yeah then we did start you know toiling together, but it wasn 't a good experience. I mean it was a good learning ex- experience, yeah. but I had trouble finding um people who kind of had the musical skills yeah yeah right um but then, towards the end of high school, I connected with some people uh really good friends of mine who did have the musical skills and um it was around that time that we could afford instruments, so it was Our senior year in high school, I was in a band called Induction. Uh And uh, we won our talent show and we did, you know, started doing our our first gigs. Uh, Actually, in Houston, I just read that the site of our first gig, which is a place called Fitzgerald's, is um, just now closing. They're going to, I think they're going to knock it down. So it's (laughs) bittersweet. But yeah, that was the beginning of of that. And um, we, so in, in high school, we made a ton of money doing tapes really yeah so my one of the one of the guys had a color printer Uh uh-huh and you know we all had cassette decks and now you know we didn't own any dat machine or anything like that but we were doing the lo-fi recording and we put together 90 minutes you know worth of music (laughs) and sold tapes for five bucks uh we worked out the unit cost it was it was less than 60 cents per unit whoa okay so we were making just tons of money on that Um, That led us to buy our first professional mixer, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. It was like Mm -hmm. a Mackie 1604. Um, And that kind of got the ball rolling. We actually pressed records, um, our first record in 93, and and it seems kind of like a dream. We were really good at marketing to our high school. Uh You know, we did these subversive things like print out a bunch of like little words and tape them all over school in different uh-huh. places. So when the product hit the, like the market was prime, people were like,
0: what is this? What is this? I How many kids it. were in your school? It- so
2: I went to a big high school called uh-huh. sci fair in Texas. My graduating class was about 650 oh, wow. people.
0: That's so the 200 more than my whole high school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, everything's bigger in Texas, right? Yeah, it was, right. it was huge. Um, and then, you know, through the money that we had saved through t-shirts and cassettes. And, and, uh, we did, I think four different cassettes that allowed us to press our first records. Uh And, you know, I don't think this would ever happen today, but the way it worked was we sent a cassette demo to Watts music, a distributor in New York city. And, um, guy called us up and said, Hey, this is great. I'm going to send you a purchase order. And we thought, uh, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I guess we need to press some records. (laughs) Um, so that's kind of how that started. Yeah. Did so, you guys
0: tour on that stuff then? or?
2: No, we didn't tour. We were all going off, to, you know, our separate ways to college. Um, never did a tour. Uh, we did several shows. And even after our first year, or I guess our first semester in college, we came back and made another tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the one guy who was still in, in school, you know, he was he was slinging those tapes still. <laughs> um we had that on lock. It was great. It was that's really awesome. fun. And we managed to not get expelled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's also pretty fun.
0: That is it is funny to hear that's not that long ago, but just how, how much just with social media and digital music and just the, the music business in general, how much that's changed that you're right, like something like that, like it would be really hard to do. Although I wonder if like physical artifacts like how many people are releasing on cassette now and vinyls right. definitely come back. I wonder if like I am not in touch with youth culture at all anymore, but I wonder if there's any like, like cool, like the hip kids in high school now are, are collecting cassettes or trying to do <laughs> like, like physical only releases or something. If you're in high school and you're listening, do that. Cause that's cool. But yeah.
2: Maybe it's thumb drives. I don't yeah, really know, maybe. honestly. I mean, I'm not that connected to youth culture either, but I mean, we've seen super seismic shifts mm-hmm. in and you know, recording, um, since those days in 20 plus years, I mean, the recording industry used to be based around limited access, Mm -hmm. right? Like the means of production and distribution were really controlled by these large companies. Right. And like, um, my friends and I, we managed to figure out how to press records and we did everything wrong, (laughs) but we managed (laughs) to get them pressed into the, to the distributors. But for the most part, you know, recording was for, kind of the elite i mean Mm -hmm. sure punk was there punk was around before us and they had all the whole diy aesthetic in a way we were building on that yeah when we started hearing techno and raves and acid house music we thought well why not us we can do this but you know recording i mean for the most part had been about this limited access both on the means of production and the distribution but also on on the capture right Mm -hmm. even just getting you know sounds recorded with you know a, a few people so when it became possible to use a computer to control multiple instruments and kind of do everything with with one person, um, that really appealed to me because mm-hmm. now i didn 't need to find you know other other people to help create this vision. I yeah. could do it all myself. The irony is, I really enjoy playing with people. I really like the exchange of ideas. But at the time, that was just revolutionary. Mm -hmm. It was,
0: you know, like nothing else. Well, it must have helped too, because, like, you're talking about, of course, the punk thing before with the DIY. It's kind of built into their whole aesthetic, low quality and sounding shitty, quote unquote, or whatever. Right. You know, but when you're dealing with like a Juno, like, that thing sounds great through your headphones. But after the degradation of going through tape and stuff, maybe lo fi wasn't. Is appealing in that side of music making. Or... Yeah.
2: Well, I, I I really wanted to make music, you know, with my voice, but that that sounded like the music that I loved. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we're mm-hmm. talking about like a Depeche Mode or a New Order, mm-hmm. I mean, I like classical music too. All that stuff is recorded very well, mm-hmm. right? Right. And it took me much longer to realize yeah i mean like let's take depeche mode for example four guys in the band you know most of them are musicians so they can play well but if you look at the credits on these albums there's so many other people involved yeah there's the producer there's the mix engineer there's the you know the mastering there's the vocal you know there's there's just so many other players that um it took me a while to realize that each of those roles has like specialized knowledge Mm -hmm. um, artistry and um, you know, it didn't stop me from trying to make music on my own, which right, I still right. do. But I think that's something that is, is lost a little bit. Just the, the knowledge of what the different roles are in, you know, recording and production and musicianship. Um, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that one person can do all th- all those, but to achieve that level of fidelity and, you know, songwriting tautness and and all those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be good at each of those.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's definitely people out there that can mix and master or whatever and, and write music like Nathan Moody, for example, can do all of that stuff. Um, but like, and I used to, when I first started making my own like electronic music, I wanted that. I wanted the credits to be just Tim Held. It was <laughs> like this weird ego thing. But then I kind of realized like having, having a separate set of years that's trained in, and knows, you know, has a different point of view and can maybe hear something in there that you don't have help with mixing and mastering can, it just, most of the time makes for a better end product. So,
2: yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, I'm very much a person for whom the process is, is important. And like, I want to enjoy the process Mm -hmm. as much as the the end result in a way it's even more important when I think about how I'd really love to be spending, you know, the seconds and hours in, in my life. I want to be in the studio, Same, (laughs) you know, I want to be working. I want to be, you know, working with the machines, working with other people. And then, I mean, another big realization I had not that long ago was if you're, if you want to make music to touch people, well, you need to have an audience, Mm -hmm. right? You need to build that audience. And I've just found that as a, as one person, it's just so much harder, right? When you have, People who are either supporting, like in supporting roles for your music or your performances, or they're parts of the act or whatever, you're you're opening yourself up to that kind of second degree of of audience. Absolutely,
0: right? yeah. And I think that's super important. Yeah, and you word know. of mouth, despite everything with technology, is still it seems like that's still maybe the the premium. You know, like that's, that's the best way to get your stuff listened to is have other people yeah. genuinely talking about it. Not in of like, I got somebody to write an album review sort of way, but like somebody actually super hyped, Hey, check this out. I know you're going to love it. And then that passes on. It's yeah. like, it seems like that's still the main vector of, of popular music, or maybe or the starting of popular music, stuff that gets yeah. popular. I mean, um, I
2: agree with that. Of course we have these massive platforms for information dissemination now, which I mean, as someone who was part of the, like the web revolution Mm -hmm. right back in the day, I remember just how empowering that was. And actually that's how I made my career. You know, just, you know, I I came out to Seattle because I could make web pages right in in 1995 or
0: whatever. Okay. I was going to ask, that's where I was going to go next is how you came out here and why. So,
2: yeah, I mean, it was all about, well, the story is I, Uh, One of my good friends was working at, at Microsoft as a contractor and I'd gone through some personal um, challenges that, you know, led, I was kind of living with my dad in Houston and I really needed a chance. You know, I, I was down on my luck in in a few ways and um, Sammy, my friend, he said, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to be moving on, but I can recommend you for this job. I know Mm -hmm. you can do it. And that was essentially it. I had a, you know, like a 10 minute phone conversation (laughs) and the the woman hiring manager said, yep, come on out. When can you start? And that was really the, one of the biggest moments in my life, right? That's how I came to Seattle in the first place. So I worked as a contractor for almost four years uh, in total. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I I came here and the idea was, all right, I'm going to save up money and I'm going to go back to school and um, of course, I'm buying gear the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some great gear. Uh-huh. Um, but that that was what I did. I spent about eight months here working. Um, I got to know you know, several great friends. And Seattle at the time in the mid-90s was pretty interesting musically. I'd never yeah. lived in a place that had so much going on.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we had speakeasy and parties like that. A lot of different venues that are gone now. But even then, electronic music was bubbling. Mm-hmm. Math, of, of grunt and everything, um, you know, in Seattle, I think was just an innovative place.
3: Mm-hmm. So all of that
2: really appealed to me. Um, when it was time for me to go back to, to college, you know, I, I went back to, back to Pittsburgh where uh, I went to school and I spent all my money basically on summer school uh-huh. and I loved
3: it mm-hmm. uh, for the first time,
2: I think maybe spending my own money, but like, I had need based grants Yeah. I got so much out of it. And I was just like, man, this is awesome. I got exposed to, um, you know, intellectual computer music at the time. One of the professors at Carnegie Mellon named Roger Dannenberg uh, was one of the top people in the field. And, uh-huh. you know, he's inviting me to come work in his lab. I thought, wow, this is great. Nice. You know? Yeah. But unfortunately, I, I, so I spent all the money <laughs> on school. <laughs> and then when it came time to do financial aid for the next year, they looked I think of my tax return and said, well, bah you don't need money. Oh. You don't need money to come here. And I really did, mm-hmm. you know? So at that point I thought, well, I mean, I had worked at Microsoft as a contractor doing, you know, web building stuff. And I, I thought I had a great resume, right. Uh-huh. But I could not get a job in Pittsburgh and I just thought, well, I'm going to go where, I feel like I'm at home already. Yeah. I can earn a living in Seattle and I've got great friends there and, um, that's it. Right. I've been, I've been here ever since, since 97.
0: So I'm curious, I want to get into uh, the story of patchworks here soon, but I'm, I'm curious as I'm from Washington, I grew up here. Um, but during the heyday of like what was going on in Seattle, as far as music goes, I was a in, elementary school and B lived in Roslyn, Washington, which is in the center sure. of the state in the mountains. So like, even though I'm from here, I, I, that was not connected to me. It, that could have been, yeah, I mean, I, I listened to all that music. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, you know, Pearl jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden, and all that probably too young to listen to that when I was listening <laughs> to it. But, um, It could have been in london you know it didn't so yeah it is another world i i totally understand mm -hmm. that. so i'm curious as somebody who was you know you were here a little bit after that but you know seattle's kind of it had a reputation i don't really know what its outside reputation is anymore as far as music goes i know a lot of people still come here because they're like grunge fans and it's just Mm -hmm. it couldn't be further away from that i feel like now um but i do feel like since i've been here over the last five years maybe i'm just becoming more steeped in it but I I started meeting people here and there, um, Andy Reichel and Cindy yep. and Chloe Rika, um, and, you know, just people kind of scattered around who didn't know each other. It seems like everybody now knows each other, and there's kind of a cool thing happening here yeah. that seems like kind of unique, and maybe not unique, but it seems like it's the biggest thing that's been going on here since I moved here. Do you, in your span of time that you've lived here, how do you view what's going on right now in the timeline of kind of blips or bumps and movements or community? I mean, I think,
2: I totally agree. I think what's happening in Seattle now is, is really exciting and I'm grateful to play a role in that. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just awesome to see, uh, to see it grow and take off. And actually now's a good time, Tim, for me to thank you <laughs> for your role in this. I mean, you're a critical person in this whole story. Thank you. And I really respect what you're doing with the podcast. Um, uh, but thank you very much for your role in, in this community and also for your support of patchworks. We really yeah. appreciate that. So yeah, answering the question, I mean, I just finished reading, uh, I'm going to forget the title, but, um, one of the managers for, for Nirvana just wrote a book, his memoirs mm-hmm. of the whole story of, of Nirvana and, and mostly about Kurt uh, Cobain. Um, I read it on the plane. You know, I've been doing some traveling. But what was really striking to me, I mean, I wasn't here during that time. Yeah. Of course, you know, I did know about Nevermind. It was huge. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and um, you know, I remember seeing like at the time on TV, there were these commercials for like collect Call uh-huh. <laughs> 1-800-COLLECT. Uh-huh. And there was one where, you know, this like really nerdy looking dude, he's wearing flannel. He's like, can I, can I use this to call Seattle, dude? 1-800-COLLECT. <laughs> so it was just part of the zeitgeist, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but reading the book was really interesting because, um, you know, of course he talks about the beginnings of like, you know, Riot Girl and Olympia. He mm. really roots it in, in kind of what's going on. And I think what's going on now, even if you can't like make a really direct connection what's happening now is rooted in that. And, you know, a lot of the, like the venues or the places they talk about in there are still here. There was this huge, you know, Nirvana show at at the Paramount, right? Like Uh their big, their big homecoming. Well, of course we still have the Paramount, right? So in, in terms of what's happening now, I don't really have a good answer, but, um, you know, people come and go, but some people have stayed, right? Mm -hmm. And are still part of the community. So for example, um, Marco Collins, a DJ who's now yeah. with KEXP. He was a huge voice in those early nineties. Um, you know, the voice of grunge, he worked at, uh, you know, the end one Oh seven seven. And he was a big piece of just that whole, you know, historical moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the late nineties, when, um, you know, I was here and I, I shared some, uh, studio with some friends and we, we had a band called heat sink that we were, um, you know really pushing and, and Marco um forget how we connected with him but he showed a genuine interest in mm-hmm. us so the same radio show the the young and the restless that broke nirvana to seattle's audience well you know Marco invited us into the studio nice. right and and we had our our shot and gosh i remember sounding so nerdy <laughs> i think actually we blew up the speakers at at kndd you know oh, they weren't nice. really used to all that bass um so Here's an example of and and by the way, Marco's back right. Yeah. he moved away for a mm-hmm. while, he was in New York for a while, but now he's back on the air on on um uh k e x p so it's just I, I love hearing his voice because he's a human example of that continuity mm-hmm. right, and he's not you know super um well, I shouldn't speak for him, I don't think he's super into modular music per se, yeah, but you know there's a lot happening in Seattle. That's not just modular. Obviously mm-hmm. there's a huge, you know, hip hop thing going on. I, I just love that. I think yeah. it's a really vibrant community. And, uh, again, I, I'm just really grateful to be part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I also want to throw the thanks back to you because I feel like what you and Cindy have done with patchworks is created a place for all of us to kind of coalesce around and meet each other. And the fact that you guys do events there and your module meetups and, it's just, it's been a hub for us all to connect. And now every time I go to a modular on the spot or a modular nights thing, you walk in and everybody knows it. Like, it's like a giant, like not to sound too cheesy, but the last time I was there, it really felt like we're just this giant family. And that's what I've been wanting to, that's one of the reasons I got into music is that human connection. Yeah. And since I've started working on my own, doing electronic music, I haven't had that connection with bandmates, but now I have it in like this huge way mm-hmm. through a community for the first time. And I think patchworks is, is almost directly responsible for that. And so,
2: oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when I talk about patchworks, um, you know, since the beginning, we've had three main pillars, which are important to our business. It's retail, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, that's our storefront, but it's also community mm-hmm. and it's also education. Yep. So, um, you know, we can talk about the, the whole, genesis of that but if we rewind to what we were talking about earlier with Mm me you know my experience growing up in houston texas was there was no internet that you know i could access at the Mm -hmm. time but i wanted desperately to connect with people i wanted to talk about the equipment i wanted to learn about new music i wanted to make friends i wanted to be able to you know perform with people and also listen to other performances you Mm -hmm. know as an underage kid there just was nothing Mm -hmm. you know so um patchworks in many ways is set up for us to be able to provide that in a way that, and you know, it's giving back in a, in a way like investing in the community. I just, that's one of my core values, mm-hmm. right? Being able to bring people together and, you know, learn. I just think it's, it's, it gives me a, a great feeling to see that happening. So, like I said, that's a core mission mm-hmm. for us. And, um, you know, it it is amazing to see and kind of observe when, people do meet each other. People Uh do make those connections. So (laughs) in our first little corner of the building we have now, um, you know, I recall early on, once the word started to get out, there was a gentleman who wanted to come to the store. He was visiting from out of town and um, he was outside before we opened the store, Uh right? We opened it up and he was literally there until we closed that night. (laughs) And not only that, he invited his friends, Hey, come on down. I'm at Patchworks. And you know, come see me. I'm going to be here all day. And, um, they did, Uh right. They came and like, he was kind of holding court there, which is kind of awesome (laughs) in a way. But, um, at the same time, we started to see people meet each other there. Mm -hmm. This is before we did big events. I mean, we did our meetups actually before we had the store, but, um, before the event, event program really got going, yeah. We'd see people exchange numbers and they mm-hmm. say, Oh, you're doing this. Oh, I do this. Let's, we should
0: do something. Yeah. And I just, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I've seen, I've seen people that I've like kind of like played. I've, I've known this, you know, person X for three years and person Y for two years and right. then be there with one of them. And then the other one walks in the door and then get to introduce them. And like, you guys don't know each other. Like, cause yeah. I just kind of assume everybody knows everybody. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just been, and I've met some of my like, through the podcast, I've met, I have people that have become close friends. But both of those people that I'm thinking of, like, like Kyle Swisher, Dark Sparkler, mm-hmm. and Ellison Wolf, who's doing Waveform, mm-hmm. I met both of them at one of your guys' synth meets. Oh, cool! And then the <laughs> second time we ever hung out was in my living room doing the podcast, and we've just been hanging out since and been yeah. buddies. So, like, I don't know. I'm kind of just waxing on now, but no,
2: I think there's something to that. I mean, and and um, I think. You know, there's so many forces in today's difficult world that divide us. Yes. You know, they're they're actually investing effort and money and resources in dividing people. And ever, I mean, I've always believed in the power of music to bring people together, right? I mean, it can be a solo journey if you want. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean... You know, I was a depressed teenager curling up with depeche mode tapes yeah, uh-huh. and CDs. I mean, that was really comforting to me, right? Just the music soothing me or me, you know, projecting my myself into a different world. And that was a huge part of it. But at the same time, I mean I've I've even from an early age, I saw the power of, of music to uplift, to connect people. I gotta tell tell you, I mean, being in the chorus, I there was one opportunity we had in high school um our high school choir to perform with the seattle symphony mm-hmm. so we were up there on stage with symphonic musicians and by the way they had a mini moog on the stage oh. <laughs> and i thought what the heck is that doing here but um when you're a voice in, you know a, a well-practiced chorus it's trans it transcends you yeah. right? because you're part of this this voice that's singing like a singular message even though you might have four or more part harmony mm-hmm but it's not like you disappear, but you, you become part of something that's much bigger than yourself. And, um, it's really powerful. It's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I I truly believe in the power of music to bring people together. It doesn't have to be the music too. It can be the equipment, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just so much there. And also while we're on this subject, I just want to give a shout out to the mostly modular trade association. Um, the, beginnings of patchworks were actually with the mmta and the reason i say that is you know before patchworks was around um you know that association was putting on meetups up at shoreline uh community college oh okay and you know you can see i have a john bowen Solera sitting right here Mm -hmm. love that instrument and that thing wouldn't be here if it weren't for this like trade association thing i remember john came and demoed this thing and um he spent the whole day with me just kind of running through <laughs> the thing and, you know, love the way it sounds. So, anyway, that's just an anecdote. I mean, mm-hmm. they did tutorials and they did um, kind of gear petting zoo. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, they decided not to continue. So, that left this void, right, where, you know, people did already come together. So, mm-hmm. you know, when Cindy and I got together with Patchworks, we just thought we need to continue that. Yeah. We, need, we need to be the, the current you know, carriers of the torch and, um, Now it's just amazing to see how our little scene is, you know, bubbling and
0: proliferating and there's so many new things going on. I just, I, I love it. Yeah. It's, and there's, yeah, all these people are doing all, you know, so you you guys started the store and then the modular on the spot started with, uh, you know, um, Josh and Bradley. And then I started the podcast and then Ellison started the magazine. And now, uh, John and, uh, Michael are doing the bleeps and loops, which is going to be kind of like little, like summer schools for kids and stuff and concert series. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think we're at kind of an interesting inflection point with our, you know, our, our little scene here. And by the way, I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's kind of like a a clique or a club or anything. One thing or one, um, I guess property of this, this community that I find amazing is we're, I mean, it's, it's very welcoming.
0: Yes. Right. If you're
2: new or starting out, you don't know anything. The message is always come on in mm-hmm. right and actually that's that's one of our mottos and officially with patchworks which is everyone is welcome mm-hmm. um i can't tell you how many times i've gone into a music store and just felt humiliated yeah right? because totally. i didn't know what i'm talking about or you know i'm a i'm a white male like what about um you know a, a woman of color coming into or like a mm-hmm. young woman of color coming into a music store right um we we take that very seriously. There's been some opportunities to do some events for, uh, kind of targeted as like, you know, certain segments of demographics and, and we turn them down because we want patchworks to be a place where literally everyone is welcome.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I picked that up and I, I, I think your, your staff is more female than male, which is cool. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's important to have that kind of diversity. And, um, a, a point I wanted to make about, where our community is, I think it's at this point where we're gonna see the next level of of growth and mm. interest. And like you said, you know, there's there's multiple organizations now. Um when when people invest in communities like this and there is a lot of investment here through all, you know, yourself and Ellison, Waveform magazine and, and everybody else, it's like planting seeds, you know, mm-hmm. they'll they'll grow and proliferate and propagate. So I really think that we're about to see another, you know, another level of, um, reach. I'm right?
0: hoping so. I'm really excited to, to see where this goes. Cause like I said, I've never felt like I was more part of something and immersed in something. And, um, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. So we we're, we're getting close on time, but I want to talk a little bit more about, so so this thing was going on up in Shoreline, the mostly modular meetups. And then I know you and Cindy have been friends for a long time. And, and I think yep. Cindy mentioned that you guys had been kicking around an idea like this for many years. And then I've, you met up at Superbooth or something and decided okay. that's when you're going to do it or something. No, like, no. Or... So
2: I can tell you, yeah, uh, from my point of view, how the, it all came together. Um, so yeah, you're right. Cindy and I met. Like in those mid Mm nineties through mutual friends, um, you know, we were, we were pretty good friends then just connected through the music, right? Mm -hmm. Like IDM music was happening at the time. And, um, even then there was like a small set of electronic music people. And, um, sometimes, you know, we jammed together or something like that. Um, but fast forward a lot later, I mean, we would see, or at least I saw Seattle becoming an affluent city, a music city. Um, I'd also seen and loved like control and Brooklyn and some of the other stores that started to pop up. Um, but you know, in general, we did, we really didn't have a place in Seattle to connect with the instruments. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, YouTube only goes so far in my opinion. Yeah. Um, being a player and also like the quality of the reproduction in those systems doesn't really, in my opinion, give you a true picture of what the instrument sounds like. Um, we really needed that. Like we had Potosa music for a while. They were stocking electronic instruments and, you know, we still have uh, our guitar centers, our guitar stores yeah. and, and American music. And I've, I've been a customer of, of all of them. Yeah. Right? Same,
0: yeah. Um, I but, avoided as much as possible, at least guitar center. I try to avoid as much <laughs> as possible, but
2: yeah, I don't have a comment on that, but, um, <laughs> but we really, we wanted a place where we could just play these things. Nobody mm-hmm. was doing Euro or, you know, sometimes the trading musician would get in some really interesting stuff, but not regularly. And as you know, with you know the with EuroRack really blowing up, um, you know those stores were not focused on on this segment, so they could never keep up, even mm. if they wanted to. Even we can't keep up. Yeah, right? there's yeah. so much going on. So anyway, I was just kicking around this idea of um, you know I wanted to invest some of my time and money in the community part, but also access. Mm-hmm. I mean, access is a huge piece. Yeah. Right. Um,
0: yeah, you have to drive to Portland before you guys, if you wanted to actually get some hands-on experience yeah. before purchasing something.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I, I've done that many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just kicking around this idea, like not super f- well formed and I've, I never had, you know, any retail business experience except for my, you know, ill-fated little Caesars <laughs> job. <laughs> Um, but one year, you know, I was just wandering around Nam, um, the National Association of Music Merchants mm-hmm. Convention in um, Anaheim. Oh gosh, how long ago is this maybe f- four and a half years ago? Uh-huh. Um, I was just there on a whim, thinking like I had this idea kicking around in my head why don 't I go check out nam mm-hmm. i 'd never been before um, and randomly, I ran into Cindy Reichel, just you know on the floor of Nam uh-huh. <laughs> and if you you know if you 've seen Nam before like the scale of it is insane. Mm-hmm. There there's probably close to a hundred thousand people who go to this thing. Jeez. It fills the Anaheim convention center. Um, and, and you even guys then, didn't
0: know each other were going.
2: Nope. Had yeah. <laughs> no idea. You know, we, we were still friends, but not close, mm-hmm. not, not super close. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you can see where this is going. Yeah. We just, and you know, we kind of said to each other, well, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, independently we had a similar idea Um, I'd never done any business with Cindy before, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I, I already knew kind of, um, her pretty well. I think she did vice versa. And we, we just decided this, we should do this. And I got to say, she's an amazing business partner. Yeah. Um, I think we share, well, I know we share similar values, Mm -hmm. things like everyone is welcome access for all. Um, and you know, in my technology work, I'm a, I'm an advocate for diversity and inclusion and people normally think about I guess race is the first thing that comes to mind Mm -hmm. but there's so many dimensions to it there's economic background there's you know sexual gender identity there's Mm. um you know life experience all that stuff seniority right I I love at modular night seeing people perform who are like you know maybe still in high school you know (laughs) like really young but also people who are retired right yeah they're all in the same group and I think that's amazing. So, yeah, so Cindy and I, you know, that was the, the beginnings of it. We did our meetups first. So we did several meetups, like I mentioned before, carrying the torch of mm-hmm. uh, the MMTA uh, that helped us connect with our, uh, you know, our, our potential customers and, and, you know, so like plant the initial seeds of the community. The first time we actually sold anything was at one of those meetups Um I had all this, you know, equipment in my, in, in my basement here, new equipment, mm-hmm. because we were stocking up, but we would schlep everything down and set it all up and merchandise it and, and we did great business. So, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of capital to, to kind of launch this thing, mm-hmm. but it fits with. Everything else for it to be kind of this organic grassroots growth. Yeah.
0: I didn't know. So you guys kind of almost like pop-up shop before you actually had a a space. I I didn't know that. That's that's cool. Yep. I remember buying patch cables from you guys when you're still in that little corner and I'm not sure you were actually officially open. Oh, I, yeah. got, like, I just bought like one p- package of Intelligel pa- uh, patch cables because I had like two modules and didn't even really know what.
2: Well, you got to connect the
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I like, well, I guess I need to plug these things into each other. Yeah. I had a, I had a sequencer, a sampler and uh, a like a delay thing. Like So okay. not, I couldn't really do anything with it. and. I actually had that for a few months and ended up getting rid of all of it and, and getting back into it a year later. Nice. So, yeah.
2: Well, one thing that we really appreciate, um, and all you listeners who are Patchworks customers, I want to say thanks to you all too, because there's so many of our customers who um, have supported us through saying like, yeah, I could maybe get this, you know, equipment sooner from somebody else or I could buy it used. But, But a lot of our customers say, no, we want to, we want to, you know, invest in patchworks. Mm -hmm. You know, we love that that you're here and want to buy from you. And that's awesome. Like, thank you so much. Everybody who does that. It's really great.
0: And that's kind of, that's kind of what I've, I've been wanting to, you know, preach my side of the patchworks gospel as, as just somebody who's, who's, um, a member of a community that you guys really helped, you know, like foster. Um, it's kind of my way of, you know, paying it forward, I guess, or, um, I don't know, like, or just to talk to people who maybe think like me, if if I can buy something from you guys, but it's, you know, $50 more than it is on Reverb, I'm going to drive to your guys' place and do that because, I mean, luckily I'm in a financial position where I can afford to do something like that. So I understand if you're not. Um, but, you know, it's also the experience of keeping a place going, you know, keeping yeah. a, an actual physical destination open, which is something that just seems to become rarer and rarer as far as you know, technology growing and, you know, there's there's still record shops, but I'm afraid that I'm going to see bookshops and record shops and music stores like disappear in my lifetime. And I want to do everything I can to make sure that does not happen.
2: (laughs) We could talk about that for a long time. But yeah, thanks Tim. I mean, you know, we would not be able to do what we do if it weren't for this amazing set of people who Mm. interact with us. So, um, Yeah, we recognize that and we think it's, you know, we really appreciate it. But again, I mean, we're only a a piece of what's going on here. And and, um, again, I I just, I think that's super gratifying. And um, I just, I can't
0: wait to see what happens next. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna go over because we've there's too much there's too much cool shit to cover. <laughs> okay. Um Okay. Um if you don't mind, but I wanna talk about your personal music a little bit, like okay. some of the more recent stuff. And sure. I know you've got you've you've released stuff in the last few years and you've got new stuff coming out. So um yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. So um yeah, I have two current projects that I work on. I have a solo project called Orchid, mm-hmm. and it's spelled with a Q in the middle, so O R Q I D. Um, And then the other project is a project with Cindy Reichel called Dahlia and, you know, Orchid. So I've had several projects and monikers in the past. Probably I'm best known for Codebase, Mm -hmm. which is a moniker I used in the um, 2000s, mostly uh, 2000s and early 2010s Um, that was focused on dance music and and kind of club music in a way, although it it has my kind of twist Uh on it but at the same time I wanted to start something fresh and new and I really connected with myself emotionally when I play. So I wanted, I just wanted an outlet for emotive music mm-hmm. and actually orchid is where I start to use more modular equipment. Okay. So, um, especially when I play live, I have a Intelligel, um, seven case with 104 mm-hmm. HP totally filled. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I use that thing for like synth voices and filtering of, of some beats, uh, or, you know, I've got a bunch of things running through a morphogenes so I can Mm -hmm. do some, you know, live splicing, which is really interesting. So orchid is really born out of emotion. Um, I wanted to experiment with, with sort of ambient tones. Mm -hmm. It's not ambient music, but, but there are elements of say drone, um, you know, drones to it. And again, modular. So, so that's orchid. Uh, there's a seven inch that's out now called ideology, which is a kind of an experiment. Uh, it's a limited edition. They're not that many, but it's beautiful. Um, it's thank got you. like the pink
0: seven, yeah, inch, it's right? a hot hot
2: pink, mm-hmm. uh, seven inch with pink, um, you know, fluorescent pink type on a black, mm-hmm. on a dark background. Interestingly, that record, <laughs> it, I, I chose the absolute worst time to release that record, yeah. which is, uh, which was during the week of the 2016 presidential election. Oh God! So <laughs> no. yeah, unfortunately there was no attention on that thing, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. So with Orchid, I'm, I'm working on a new record that should be out this fall. And this one's more of a mini album. Um, I think it's more refined and I, I think the music is stronger. This one's going to be a 12 inch as well, which, you know, seven inches are hard to place in today's, um, you know, record stores and, and record buying mm-hmm. public, but it's, I think it's going to be awesome if I, if I can say that, because I'm really proud of the graphics and the jacket. It's yeah, super just striking. Yeah, you showed me
0: that before we started chatting. It looks really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And then,
2: um, you know the vinyl itself will will have an interesting surprise and and then the the tracks i think are really strong too so so that should be out this fall and also behind that i'm going to be doing um, a series of shows that uh, include an av component that's going to be totally new for me and uh, i think i think it'll be really awesome so i know it's
0: going to be awesome i won't i won't give it away but you did (laughs) you showed me a couple pieces that will make it possible and i'm i'm definitely uh pieces of technology that you'll use cool. for that. And yeah, I'm into it should it. be. Are those going to be local or are you going to try and bring them, tour them around or anything? Or? Touring
2: for me would be kind of hard. I mean, we have such a great community here that mm-hmm. I'd like to, you know, see the response with with our audience here first and then we'll see. Yeah. You know, the little tour is not out of the question. So that's Orchid. Um, we should see some announcements later this, uh, later this year in the fall for that and if mm-hmm. you're interested listeners, you can go to orchid.co that's orqid.co, and I have a mailing list that you can you can get on there, um, and it also has links to all the socialy things, and then I'd also like to just mention dahlia So, you know, Cindy Reichel and I have been friends and business partners for many years, but last at the end of last year was the first time we'd ever played music together. Uh-huh. So, so dahlia is the name of that project, and that is it's very improvisational. Mm-hmm. So. We don't have a lot of music written down it's very kind of sound exploratory i play modular but i also play um a laptop you mm-hmm. know I'm not sure if that's heresy but i play <laughs> laptop and i i you know we capture a lot of like avant-garde classical music or like interesting sounds and then um, cindy also plays a modular as, as well as um, another keyboard so she's a
0: great synthesis she's and amazing yeah she's yeah, badass. She is,
2: she is amazing so our next uh, Dahlia show will be coming up in, in July, so stay tuned for that. And um, we are hoping to do a, a, a release later this year, too. So cool. thanks, thanks for asking about the music. Uh, yeah, that's, well, that's currently what's I'll going on. I'll definitely
0: keep people updated, so let me know, and sure, I'll, uh, I'll talk about it on the show and everything. Um, are you feeling up to doing a patch challenge? Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for it. <laughs> All right. I've got to look up some... i got to get my, uh, my creativity generator website open, um, I kind of forgot I'm being a bad host here. So I'm going to pause really quick. Symbolic? We we can go through a few. Symbolic code was the first one that came up. Symbolic but if you, code. If you want to spin it again.
2: Yeah, let's roll again. Code that might sounds, be on the nose because you that do. That sounds too much like code based yeah. to me.
0: <laughs> Rural bull? bull? Rural, Rural
2: bull. That's like a B U L L. Yeah. Huh? <laughs>
0: Rural bull. Well, okay. You want to do that shot? (laughs) I can keep going. Yeah, let's see what the next one is. Okay. Best best of those two. Oh, some of these are bad. (laughs) Basic mother. Basic mother.
2: No, I'll try rural bull. We'll see what
0: comes up. Full tear. Or tear. However you want to read it. Full tear. Full tear.
2: I like full tier.
0: Okay, let's do full let's tier. Let's do full tier. Okay. okay, we'll do fifteen minutes. All right,
2: I'll warm up the patch hands. <laughs> here we go.
0: All right, before we get into this patch, let's check out one more demo. All right, so my buddy Brian here in Seattle just uh, just made his own module. And it's very, very cool. It's called the Petricore, um, which is P-E-T-R-I-C-H, all caps, O R. Um, and it's uh he's he's calling his uh his little operation Rain City Modular. Um and it's basically an OR combiner. Uh there are two sections. Each section has uh four inputs, two outputs, and each input has its own uh little toggle switch with the middle being mute, left will direct the uh, CV to the left output and then right to the right output. Um, it pairs very well with Iliana from Omi Industries. Um, so what I'm going to do right now is just, uh, I'm going to open up a VCA with, uh, a bunch of different signals from Ileana going into the channel one of the Petricore. I'm going to turn them on one by one and I'm running the bang oscillator from Livestock Electronics. You probably remember me talking about that a while ago. Um, I lent it to a friend and I just got it back and I'm so happy to have it back. Um, and I'm using the channel two of Petricore, which also has some Iliana and maths going into it to control the odd cv input on the bang which is just kind of like a a wave folding thing so let's just first up open up this uh this vca with with just one input from iliana into the petrichor now let's let some of that cv from channel two into the odd input And then we'll uh, flip on our second switch on PetroCore to open up this uh, VCA a little bit more. So I'm triggering mass with Ileana and I'm, then I'm using um, some of the outputs to control uh, the voltage block sequencer from Leco, which has given us our sequence. So let's open up the 3rd input on the PetraCore to open up this VCA a little bit more. And then I'll open up this uh, second input on, cha- on the channel 2 Petricor, uh to go into the odd input of the bang. What weird patch would be complete without delay? I don't know any. So I've got this uh, this stereo VCA running into the ChronoBlob 2 from All Right Devices, and I've got it in Cascade Delay mode, so let's just bring that up real quick. I'm also using Ileana to uh, sync the time of ChronoBlob. And I'm using Iliana also to trigger a Turing machine, and I have the volts expander, and I'm bringing that volts expander into channel 3 of maths so I can attenuate it, and I'm running that output into the time division multiply uh, cv input on kernel blob, so let's bring that up and see what happens. It's going to get real weird. Turn a couple of these uh, channel one petrichords down, so maybe I'll get a little less busy. Channel 1 of Petrocore. So I'm sure this stuff's kind of hard to follow when it's just an audio form, but trust me when I say that the Petrocore from Rain City Modular pairs very well with Iliana or any sort of other uh, logic machine or, or um, gate sequencer. It's just uh, it's, it's a really good tool to switch things up and add and subtract movement from a patch. And these are pretty limited run. Um, you can't go anywhere and buy them online. If you want one, you have to go to Instagram, find Rain City Modular and shoot him a shoot him a, a DM and he'll he'll try and hook you up. So these are these are kind of a limited short run, but they're they're very useful. And uh don't forget to check out Ileana from Omi Industries. This thing is uh it's just I'm finding more and more uses for it and having more and more fun with it. So uh yeah support support all these indie uh Indie module manufacturers. It's so cool. A lot of these, a lot of these companies are just one person, and it's uh, it's pretty remarkable what they can do. All right, devices out of Austin, Texas. This ChronoBlob Two is uh, is kind of the bell of the ball. Is that an antiquated statement or you or phrase? I don't know. I guess all I'm trying to say is I've had a couple friends DM me since they've seen me using it and heard uh, the 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 late, latest demos and. Uh, have expressed serious jealousy. So go to allrightdevices.com to check out the Block 2. Full tier.
2: All how'd right. You, how'd you feel about we it? We did it. <laughs> um... Yeah, to be honest, I don't really patch under the clock. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's really interesting. So I'm a player, like we mentioned before, mm-hmm. and uh, it's important for me to have a keyboard or some kind of controller. So I use the keyboard there uh, into a couple of um, CMS oscillators that are clones of the ARP 2500. And I've also been using filters in series, which okay. I find really interesting. So um, yeah, let's just get mixed and go into... Also some CMS ARP2500 filters. Those are great because they're state variable and you can control a lot of the, you know, the contours there. And using them in series gives you that much more kind of interesting slopes to the, to the responses. And then you know, that rolls into Magneto and then to Rainmaker to, to, you know, to get really kind of washy stuff going on. Yeah. And then I was just improvising, playing
0: the keys. Nice. So, yeah. Well, it sounded really cool. Um, Thanks. Rainmaker is an enormous module. I've never but you and Cindy both used it on your patch for the show. So oh, really what yeah. is it about Rainmaker that is appealing to you?
2: Well you know, thinking about the the full tier, I just wanted a wash of some kind of emotion and sound. And mm-hmm. and Rainmaker does give you that wash. And again, using delays in series, like the Magneto into the Rainmaker, um I find just it just makes it more complex and less um obvious mm-hmm. kind of what's going on. Um, I do a lot of very kind of lyrical or percussive tones, and for this one, I just wanted it to be like a, a wash so okay. when i th- when I think of wash, I just think rainmaker yeah. I can do way more than that it 's like super full featured module, but yeah. Um, another thing that I didn't expect about Rainmaker is how kind of band limited it sounds. So if you noticed on the patch, you don't get super full bass, you don't get super full high end. It's kind of a a band limited type of sound. And to me that gives a little bit of distance to it, Kind of emotional distance Uh and detachment.
0: Okay. I like that. Yeah. Now that you mention that, I can hear what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for joining me. Thank um, you. It's been it's been awesome checking out your studio. This oh, is pretty impressive. I would never leave if this was my house. Um, <laughs> you were telling <laughs> me it's pretty hard.
2: It is hard to leave. <laughs> I want to spend all my waking moments in here. Um, but if I could just say a little thing to your listeners yeah. before we sign off here, um, I just want to thank all of you for your support for our electronic music scene here in Seattle and for Patchworks. Um, and also for, for Waveform Magazine coming up and Mm -hmm. obviously for Podular Modcast. So, um, along with that, you know, for those of you listeners, maybe who aren't, you know, don't have a big studio yet, or you're just thinking about getting into it, there's nothing holding you back. Yeah. Right. We mentioned software earlier. There's free software you can use to get started. So literally kind of the easiest way to enter this is through like whatever means you have. And Mm -hmm. if that's an iPad or if that's a, a laptop, an old laptop, you can do it. Yeah. And we're also here to help, right? So reach out to to Tim or or myself at Patchworks, or, you know, we, we love doing that. We want to help you. So for any of those of you, whether you're starting out, or, you know, you're, you're a veteran looking for new ideas. Um, this is all about the exchange of ideas. So, so thank you all.
0: Yeah. And I will say, just to add to that, I, I was reluctant to get into modular because of the, the cost. And I thought I would never be able to, and now I have two, six, U cases and I have modules overflowing from them and I'm not Like, you know, I'm not a wealthy person, but I, you find a way to make it happen. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's good advice. And, uh, where, where can people go again to check out, let's see patchworks.com. And then what about your music?
2: Yeah. Patchworks.com. It's spelled with an E. So patchworks, right? (laughs) Like craft work. Uh, come visit us there. And on, uh, for my music, you can go to orchid.co. Um, yeah. And find
0: it there right on thanks for thank you uh, so much us. yeah it's a lot of fun yeah
2: it, it has <laughs> been thank you so much it's my right. pleasure
0: all right let's check out full tier from tom butcher aka orchid with a cute oh so sweet thank you Tom so much for that lovely patch and the lovely conversation um that was uh that was again I don't like to I don't like to play favorites or anything but I, I I really like Tom and I usually see him at larger events so it was really cool to sit down and uh get to get to know his backstory a little bit more and just have a really nice conversation with him so I can't I can't thank him enough for inviting me over to his awesome studio and uh, for being such a great guest. So uh, if you want to support Patchworks, go to uh, patchworks.com. That's dot scom Also check out uh, Omi Industries. A lot of cool stuff going on over there. Steady State Fates dipole filter is continuing to knock my socks off. The Chrono Blob 2 from All Right Devices. Um, I think I'm... I'm continuing to make my friends jealous on Instagram with this bad boy and uh, go over to rain city modular. If you uh, want to check out the Petracor. again, those are limited runs. Um, so just send him a DM and, uh, see if, uh, slide into his DMS. Is that what they say now? Um, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash And until next week,